Hello and welcome to the Backcheck the Hockey History Podcast, where we evaluate the Hockey Hall of Fame cases for NHL players. My name is Riley. I'm with Bill. Hey, how you doing? I'm good. How about you? I'm doing all right, thanks. And this is a 1987 Hall of Fame class episode. Uh, we are talking about three players, and they are uh, Jacques Laperriere, Ed Giacomin, uh, and Bobby Clark. And um, they are they have drastically different cases, we think. And so we're starting with uh, Habs defenseman um, Jacques Laperriere. And I just realized that I had Ian's uh, hockey reference page up, not Jacques. Uh-huh. Fix that. Yeah. Um, that would not be good. <laughs> no, no, no. The, the, that case would be really, really bad. Um, uh, LaPerriere played from 62 to 74, 12 seasons, 11 quality by our estimation. Um, at his retirement, he was the 13th D all-time in assists with only 242, which gives you an example, uh, gives you some idea of how little scoring happened from defensemen before Bobby Orr. And he was 25th all-time in points with only 282, not even 300 points, and he's 25th all-time in his retirement. Um, he's also 22nd, all-time, 22nd defenseman all-time in plus-minus to this day, and he was second um, among defensemen at his retirement, and that might seem very impressive. But it's worth noting that the NHL started officially uh, tracking plus-minus only at expansion in 67-68, and teams had been doing it for another seven or eight years prior to that and so that's actually only from 1960-ish is so the reason he's second is because if there were really great teams in the 50s and the and previous decades none of those guys got uh plus minus so it's just worthwhile keeping in mind because it sounds second defenseman all time plus minus sounds really impressive until you think about context and he did that so 282 points plus 256 plus 256 282 points is amazing um, he did that in almost 700 games, 692 games. So he was not a scorer, but of course that was the era. And he was the 18th defenseman all-time in point shares at his retirement, as well as 16th all-time in defensive point shares. So top 20-ish defenseman by those metrics when he retired. Um, he doesn't qualify, obviously, for any per-game stuff. But if we lower the, uh, the um, qualifiers low enough, which is quite low, obviously, given... Um, how little he scored. He was the ninth defenseman all time in assists per game and 24th defenseman all time in points per game as a retirement. And that of course got blown out of the water by everybody uh, soon after because Bobby Orr was already in the league. And, and so was a park and pot fan by the time he retired of the, uh, so he wasn't drafted. Of course he, um, he came into the league in 62. The first draft was really close to that. I think it was a, either that year or a year later, but there were still like territorial selections and stuff happening at yeah. the time. Um, era wise of the 10 defensemen to play in at least 656 games between 62 and 74, he's seventh in goals among defensemen, uh, seventh in goals per game, which is last among anyone who scored any goals, basically second yeah. in assists, So that's good. Fifth in points, third in points per game. Again, we're, we're like, fudging those qualifiers. He's first in plus minus, which is of course important and second in defensive point shares and point shares. Um, so he looks pretty good relative to his competition. His 82 game average is only 34 points. However, he's a plus 30 uh, with only 34 points, which is very impressive. Um, his three year peak is a 76 game average of 33 points plus 31. So it's actually a point less, but 
this we're doing this by point shares and not by um by points and of course uh his 8.3 point shares but that is over a 76 game uh average not 82 but 8.3 is pretty good it's it's not absolutely elite, but it's pretty good um playoffs wise uh he was the 13th defenseman all time in playoff goals at his retirement he only had nine he was the 17th defenseman all time in assists playoff assists retirement he only had 22 he was the 13th defenseman all time in points at his retirement he only had 31 so keeping in mind it sounds when you do his like overall ranking it sounds good but like defenseman didn't score um He's also plus 25, which was the fourth all-time among defensemen at his retirement. And he had played – that was in 88 playoff games, which was the 14th defenseman all-time at his retirement. And, of course, again, per-game stuff doesn't qualify. But if we make the qualifiers absurdly low, he was 14th all-time in assists per game, playoff assists per game, and uh, 12th all-time in playoff points per game. Um, and uh, – Arrow wise, uh, it's worth noting of the so of the six D to play in at least eighty two playoff games between sixty two and seventy four. We're going to tell you his um, rankings, but it's worth noting that almost every one of them played at least one playoff game for the Habs because of how good they were uh, during that period of that twelve year period. And so this is not exactly edifying. Let's put it that way, because he's second in playoff goals among defensemen, second in playoff goals per game again qualifiers garbage he's second in playoff sits but he has less than half of the guy ahead of him who is jc trombley um he's second in playoff this is per game again he's less than half of jc trombley second in playoff points half of less than half of jc trombley same thing with playoff points per game trombley was of course one of the first just like red kelly more of an offensively inclined defenseman pre-bobby or um and uh perrier looks good relative to his competition but of course looks not great offensively compared to Tremblay. Uh, but again, it's worth noting these six guys, all but I think one of them played multiple games for the Habs in the playoffs. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and so like that tells you more about the Habs dominance than it does anything about Le Perrier, I think. Um, he's also second in playoff plus minus on his defenseman. But again, it's, it's a relatively new stat and everyone was, a, everyone on Ellis is a Hab. Uh, the adjustment for era, uh, as you might imagine, doesn't do much given when he played it uh bumps him up 1.35 points per 82 games so it's basically it doesn't affect anything yeah. um he, he obviously did not score enough to qualify for the versus x adjustment for era because that is based more on offense and he did not score enough. so he won the norris in 1966 which um aside from his finishes all time in points given the lack of scoring is, is probably the biggest part of his case. Well, and there's one other thing, big part of his case, uh, many, many years ago before we did this podcast and before I probably should have done it, I tried to analyze every Norris trophy on my blog and I, it actually moved that to our site so you can see it, but keep in mind, it's very old and I haven't updated it, but I, I looked at, that trophy and i thought it was probably trombley's i of course was not alive my parents had not met each other i don't think my father was in canada yet so <laughs> take this with a huge grain of salt but like he certainly at least um by the metric i was attempting to use at the time trombley appeared to me to have a better case they were teammates so who the hell knows but i think the barriers norris is probably a really big part of his case for being in the home as is the fact that he finished top five in norris voting five other times which is a lot 
He also won the Calder in 1964, which I said he started in 62, but it was one of those, they, they brought them along slowly. Um, you know, he, uh, he played only six games in his first season, so he was eligible in his second season. He has, um, two first team all-stars, which as we've talked about many times is, a uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a fairly short list and he has two, uh, second team all-stars. So four NFC's and all-star teams is a, is a short list among defensemen and, uh, another reason why he's probably in. I mean, uh, hockey references, he was a top five defensive player twice in 68 and 73 and top 10, six times. He also led the league in plus minus once though. That's really unofficial. Um, Oh no, sorry. That is official. Cause that was post 68. So the other main reason he is in the Hall of Fame is that he won four Stanley Cups. Um, unfortunately, because of the nature of his, did I say four, five Stanley Cups? Sorry, he won five Stanley Cups. Um, because of the nature of his role as more of a defender than a, uh, like more of a defensive defenseman, it's really hard to know what his role actually was because we do not have ice time and. Uh, plus minus, you know, is, is plus minus. And so by guessing, we think he was a top two defenseman on two of those champions in 68 and 71 top four in on two others in um, 69, 73, he missed uh, seven games in 65 when he won, but like he, he missed, you know, that's over, uh, that's over half. Um, yeah, he, play, he only played in six, out of, so seven. He missed seven out of thirteen, and finally in '66, he was given his name was apparently put on the cup, or he was given a ring, one or the other. But he didn't play a single game. So one of those is like huge asterisks. Another one is a bit of an asterisk. So really, it's it's. Uh, um, I realize that, that doesn't add up. Uh, <laughs> let me see here. Uh, one, two, three, four, five. Oh yeah, because Hockey Reference doesn't. So Hockey Reference doesn't count the 66 Cups. So he technically won six Cups. Hockey oh, wow. Reference doesn't have the sixth. Uh, okay. Wikipedia does. Um, he he apparently has some kind of acknowledgement because he was on the roster. He just never played a game. Uh, and then 65, he missed half half the games. And then the other four, he, um, he was either a top two or top four defenseman based on points. But, of course, this is a guy who didn't score that much. So who the hell knows? So that's his case. And I think it hinges on two things or three things for, for me personally, it's whether or not he deserved his Norris, uh, those four end of season all-star team, uh, nods and also what role he had on those, on those four cups that he actually played a role on. And yeah. none of that we really fully know because we were, neither of us were alive. Um, yes, yeah, it's, it, it's a little bit hard to say because he's sort of one of those, it strikes me just from sort of hearing the stats and, you know, knowing that Tremblay's way ahead of him in, in terms of, of points. And that there's a lot of people in Montreal that think he should be in the hall. I, um, I mean, I think he should be in the hall. It, I actually, I want to do an episode on him and some other people because like, it's crazy to me. This guy won multiple WHA best defenseman awards. In addition to having a good NHL career, it's bizarre to me. He's not in the hall of fame. Well, it, it, it's weird, though. I feel like some of the WHA guys who, who were in the NHL first and then left, um, they, they sort of get punished for that almost. Um, yeah. But, you know, that's old old school hockey grudges and stuff. Yeah, I'm yeah sure. absolutely. Um, yeah, so it's like, uh, it, it's all, it almost just sounds from the description that he's he's that rock-solid number two defenseman, and like there's 
sort of no way you win that many cups without him. But maybe he's not the the driver of the. So like a a good modern comparison would be, uh, you know, Duncan Keith and Keith Seabrook. Yeah. So Seabrook's like you know for at his peak anyway before he declined, is a rock solid number two defenseman. But Keith's really the guy who's like gonna win a Norris, gonna win a Conn Smythe, gonna go into the Hall slam dunk. Yeah. And then, you know, later on, let's say when they get to the Veterans Committee or twenty years down the road, then maybe you know some people will try to squeak him in there because well he was on three Cup winners and he was really good and it's like well, I I think I think they probably I think they probably still win those cups without him you know. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's it. But maybe not. I don't know. Like maybe it's just. Uh, but but it's a, a lot of times. There's one D partner who makes the other D partner look a lot better than they are, kind of thing. You know, like or or at least. Yeah, absolutely. And we and with this guy, we don't we don't yeah, know. Yeah, we don't, we that don't know. Been. But that's yeah. this. Like I'm imagining in my head because of the stats that he's maybe he's a little bit more of the stay stay at home guys yeah. guy that allows JC Trombley to take chances and rush the puck and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, and those guys are super valuable, but you know, there's there's very few Scott Stevens types where I've got Niedermeyer. I don't have to do that stuff anymore. Like I'll just stay back here and hit guys and yeah. <laughs> be 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 you know a defensive stalwart kind of thing and, and intimidate people because and and earlier in his career, Stevens had been putting up crazy amounts of points, he, but he you know he could sort of sit back and use his sort of uh, you know defensive skill and veteran savvy kind of thing too so it's it's maybe just they were a really good partnership together and the stats bear out the Tremblay was that was the guy but maybe if you if you would watch them play maybe you're like Perrier was just as good but the stats look like crap for him you know so it's, it's really hard to tell without having seen their careers um well and i don't even know if they were a pairing honestly well i mean but, but let's say he was on the shutdown pair and Tremblay yeah. was on you know but yeah. it's you know we, we don't we don't have much to go on other than stats um, unless we want to go back and watch some old black and white footage um, and honestly we don't have time for that um, you know it's yeah. it, it's it's hard to tell but it, it makes his case you're, you're you're sort of you almost have to talk to a bunch of old timers and get them to convince you how great he was and have them show you like you got to watch this game in the playoffs when he was like star of the game, like he was really good. Like it, you, you know, and, and it's, it's weird because we're losing a lot of that old hockey knowledge, right. Of people who, yeah. you know, watched every single playoff game and they remember, Oh yeah, he made this play and he did this and that. And it's, there's yeah. a lot of players like that, that I remember from my childhood where I'm like, Oh yeah, that guy was really good. And like, nobody ever talked about him, you know, yeah. like some, some rock solid old defenseman that like nobody remembers that they were actually really key to, you know, uh, changing a game and that kind of stuff, right? Some of those old school, uh, old school defensemen that you hear the name and you go, "Oh yeah, that guy." But like you look at his stats, you're like no way. Be like, dude, that guy was a total game changer. <laughs> yeah, and and that's and that's the problem with Leperrier in particular, with many of these guys, because like there's a couple things um, that are first of all his his later cups overlapped with both Serge Savard, who is a defensive defenseman who has gotten credit for mm-hmm. being a great one, and also Guy Lapointe. Um, and then his career also overlapped with uh, with uh, J.C. Uh, Trombley, who, um, you know, is not in the hall, but who, like, led 
all Canadians defensemen in the playoffs. Like every year he was in the playoffs with the, the Habs, whether they were winning cups or not, basically. And like has not gotten any credit for that. Whereas Guy Lapointe, you know, did. Now I have no idea. I never saw either of them play. I don't know who was better. Um, but it's interesting that there are these there are these cup years with the Habs where there are like, you know, three or four Hall of Fame defensemen on the same team, right? And like as someone who isn't there, I'm like, how many like this is before the the greatest team ever. And like how many of these guys really were Hall of Fame players? I, or how many of them it's like you were saying about Seabrook. Do we we don't know which of these people we can take out from the, this huge, like ridiculously long run of Habs Don dominance where they missed the playoffs once in what was it 30 years or something and like and uh and won so many cups it's it's kind of preposterous you know in the in the um you know they they won more cups than anyone in the 60s they won more cups than anyone in the 70s and without watching film we don't really know how much le perrier um contributed to those cups but the thing is we do know that like he is, despite his Norris, he is not necessarily, I mean, at least for me, he is not remembered as fondly as, say, Savard is. No. Um, and obviously, LaPointe and later Robinson have, have this offensive stats that he doesn't, that can, like, you know, in addition to Larry Robinson, you being one of the greatest of all time, you know, the, both of these guys have offensive stats that LaPierre doesn't, who we can point to in addition to the, the you know, gaudy, the number of cups, the huge plus minuses and that stuff. I just without seeing them play, it's really hard to know how important he is. And it's like, I don't know. I don't remember when Doug Harvey was traded. Um, I'm just going to look that up while we're talking, actually. Yeah. Um, to see. I, it was sometime in the early 60s, but I don't um, remember if there's any overlap between. So, there is no over. There's literally no overlap between Harvey and Leperrier. Okay, so he didn't benefit from Harvey, but he did. You know, Talbot was there too, and Tom Johnson I think was there, and like you know a, a bunch of like not Doug Harvey, but like other um, defensemen who are well remembered. Of course, Talbot isn't in the Hall of Fame. Uh, we talked about it in our defensive defenseman episode. Um, but I don't know. I, I really don't know what to do with it because like I can see if he really he has five or what, five or six top five Norris trophy finishes, which suggests that he really was one of the best defenders of his era. But we also know the voters can be a little weird with that stuff. And especially in pre-internet and pre-cable times, who the hell, you know, who who knows how many games of other player, (laughs) other defensemen that the voters in uh, Toronto and Montreal were watching. I have no idea. I mean, I, I think, if we accept his Norris on face value and his all-star teams on face value, he has to be in. But I also look at this, I look at like JC Tremblay's career and go like that. There is a guy who, you know, he, I don't want to get too far off topic, but that guy has a claim to have, have won a con Smythe. He didn't for, it's a long story. Hopefully if we ever get to a, a podcast with him in it, we'll talk about it. But like, and he's not in the hall of fame and, and Jacques Leperrier who has never had, that I'm aware of that kind of effect on his team in the playoffs is in, and it's weird. Also, Trombley never won a Norris. He only won WHA equivalents, but like, it's interesting sometimes when we come across these guys, like we were talking about with, um, with McLeish and, um, uh, a barber, right? Yeah. Where like McLeish has these like crazy playoff runs 
and Barber doesn't, but Barber is the guy who's in the Hall of Fame, and because he had a, a he was played a different position, you know, a, a position historically less talented position and stuff. But it's just I I have no idea what to do is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Without it going like you said, going back and watching a lot of footage. I guess we got to just assume he belongs. Yeah, I mean, it's really tough, eh? Yeah. It's uh, yeah, I, I, I can't, I can't figure it out. But like, like you said, I think the Norris weighs very heavily too, uh, and obviously all the cups. Like, I mean, but yeah, um, you know, maybe the fact that he performed well in the playoffs, um, and was part of so many cup winners and. Just, you know, he also won a Norris sort of before Bobby Orr took over the award forever. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, maybe it's sort of, uh, maybe maybe he gets judged in a way that's like, oh, before Orr, this was a great defenseman. Then once yeah. Orr came in, then they sort of to sort of be judged more differently. Yeah, um, I don't know. It is. Yeah. It would be really interesting to know if people felt like, you know, they couldn't, I don't know what Trombley's votes were like for the Norris off the top of my head, but like, Trombley was too take too many risks or whatever to score the points yeah. to score. Whereas Laperriere was was fundamentally sound or whatever. But I mean, who the hell knows? So up next uh, we have Ed Yacoman, um a uh, a goalie uh, who are, this is um, always interesting. We have not talked about a ton of goalies on the show. We've uh, we've done a couple goalie only episodes and we've talked about a few of them on these. Hall of Fame class episodes, but before we switched to the Hall of Fame class, we ignored them completely. It's because they're hard. Um, he was uh, most famously a goalie for the Rangers, but he also played for the Red Wings at the very end of his career. He played from 65 to 78 for 13 seasons, only eight as the undisputed starter, which is interesting, four as either a 1A or starter with injuries and one as injured or backup, I don't actually know. It was the real tail end of his career, so he's probably injured or, or backup. Um, he was 8th all-time in wins at his retirement with 290. He was 11th all-time in losses. He was also 10th uh, all-time in ties at his retirement. He's now 22nd Well, ties and other things. Uh, he was also 14th all-time in shutouts at his retirement. He's now 23rd. And he was seventh all-time in minutes. Played his retirement. He's no longer in the top 25 on the list. Same thing with games, seventh all-time. He was also 10th all-time in uh, goalie point shares at his retirement and 12th all-time in hockey references goals saved above average, which is uh, something that I like to consider, and that makes him look pretty good. Um, but again, that's at his retirement. Yeah. Uh, he was 17th all-time in save percentage at his retirement with only a 902, but that's, of course, because uh, we had not yet experienced the dead puck era uh, <laughs> in the inflated modern uh, goalie save percentages. So 902 sounds terrible, but 17th all-time in his retirement is good. And uh, his goals against average is 282, which is, you know, it's not insanely high, especially given the fact that he played a chunk of his career in the 70s. Of the eight goalies to play in at least 410 uh, games between 65 and 78, he is second in wins, third in losses, third in ties, second in goals against, third in shots, third in saves, fourth in save percentage, so that's pretty good. Fourth in GAA, so that's pretty good. Fourth in goals above average, again, very good. Second in shutouts, and also worth noting, first in minutes and first in games. Um, 
So he got he played a ton. And I think one of the reasons he's in the Hall of Fame is because he led the league in, in goalie games played four years in a row and was a real workhorse for the Rangers early in his career. And he was older too. Like he did not, his career started at twenty five or twenty six. So the fact like many goalies, goalies have such weird careers, but then in, in his late twenties and early thirties he was a real real workhorse. His average season was twenty two, sixteen and seven with four shutouts. Um, so that doesn't sound so impressive, but the three-year peak was 36, 21, and 10. Seven shutouts, which is quite good. Um, 2.41 GAA, which is pretty good. 9.14 save percentage, which for the late 60s is, is decent. 14.2 point shares, which is great. And 7.8 goal saved above average, which is not so good. It's fine, but it's like very, as we talked about with Tony Esposito. Tony Esposito, I don't remember off the top of his head, but he's like, his goal saved above average peak was like 60, not, not eight. <laughs> you know, it was a lot, lot, like many, many times better. Um, playoff wise, uh, Jokowin was 12th all time in wins at his retirement and eighth all time in lo- uh, losses, which I have written as assists. For some <laughs> he also only had one playoff shutout his entire career, which is not good. Um, he was 14th all time in playoff save percentage when he retired with only an eight. 9.7 save percentage, which of course now strikes us as really bad. He was also a 2.83 uh, GAA, which is higher than his regular season, it's worth noting, and most damningly for his playoff numbers, and perhaps one of the reasons why he doesn't have any cups, is he has a minus 7.2 goal saved above average for the playoffs. We don't encounter a lot of goalies in the Hall of Fame with that. Uh, it's worth pointing out. A negative playoff goal saved above average. He was 13th all-time in playoff minutes at his retirement, uh, 13th all-time in games as well. Era-wise, he was 6th in playoff wins, 2nd in playoff losses, 11th in playoff shutouts out of 17, 15th out of 17 in save percentage, which, you know, that's that's not good. Um, 11th in goals against average, again, out of 17, 16th, 2nd last in goals saved above average, and 5th in games played. So he got played a lot, didn't do so well. Also, his adjustment for era, uh, 2.75 GAA, 9.05 save percentage, minus 2, 3.2 goal saved versus average, which is a uh, online adjustment for average. And that is, you know, uh, sorry, minus 3.2, um, which is not good. And then a 398.6 goals versus threshold, which is sort of this um, sort of average goalie, uh, average good goalie amount. And that's, that's just in the, indicative of a long career. He was top five in heart voting once. He won the Vesna when it was still just the Jennings. So keep that in mind. And also has, because he never, he played prior to the existence of the current Vesna, he has no Vesna nominations because it was not a voting award until 81. He has uh, two first team all stars, which is one of the best things I think you can say about his career. He also has three second teams. So he was being judged as one of the best goalies in the league, one of the two best goalies in the league or best goalie in the league for like five straight years. That's from uh, 66 to 71. Um, and that's interesting and something we can talk about more uh, given given his other numbers. Um, he was uh, the best player uh, by point shares, according to Hockey Reference, twice, um, and the best goalie four times. Now, it's worth noting that this is a value um, judgment and one of the reasons he was uh, deemed that is because he won games. 
Um, some of these years he had quite a good save percentage as well. Uh, but the fact is he, 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 you know, when we know what wins are now, we're no longer, hopefully we're no longer obsessed with wins. And one of the reasons yeah. he did so well with his point shares is because he, uh, he won games, um, or his team won games. Um, but he was a uh, top 10 goalie by goalie point shares nine times, uh, from 67 through 73. And then the last end of his career there for the Rangers in Detroit, he, he really didn't have a great uh, end to his career. Um, he led the league in wins three times and he was top 10, nine times, which is pretty nuts. Uh, he led the league in shutouts three times as well and top 10, nine times as well. Um, he led the league in shots twice. So you can see he, he really did. He worked a lot, uh, in his late twenties. Um, he led the league in saves twice. He was top five in save percentage twice, but only, uh, twice. And he was top 10, only six times out of, out of that, uh, 14 year or 13 year career. He also led the league in minutes four times, uh, which is a hell of a lot. Um, and he played over 4,000 minutes twice, which for back then I think is a fair amount. Um, it's worth noting, uh, we've talked a lot about goal saved above average when we talk about goalies and he only had two plus 20 seasons in his entire career. And that is like, that's not great. It's plus 20 is respectable. It's quite a, it's a good season, but he only did it twice in 13 years. Yeah. Um, and lastly, his adjusted peak um, at his peak, he had a, a relative to history, he had a 9-11 save percentage, uh, 74.1 goals versus average, which is notably much better than his career. So his peak was, he had a good peak. It's just his, he played a long time and that really suffered, his career suffered. And then he has a 3-4-2.2 goals versus threshold. Don't ask me to tell you what that means exactly. It's not in the top 25. Um, so he had one playoff where he was probably the best player. Uh, and that was when the Rangers... Um, were one of the last four teams in 71. However, his team didn't advance, uh, unfortunately. Um, he was a starter on the Rangers that went to the cup final in 72. He led the playoffs in games, wins, shots against saves, and minutes. And notably, he did not lead the playoffs in save percentage or goals against average, which might have something to do with the fact they didn't win the cup, though they were also playing the Bruins, if I'm not mistaken, who were uh, extremely good. Um, I think that was the year they played the Bruins. And then he uh, he was a starter on a few other playoff teams. But basically, as you as you could tell from my running through all his uh, all his um, his playoff numbers, uh, he his playoff numbers are worse than his regular season numbers. And notably, partially when he was one of the best regular season goalies in the league, and so he. Uh, you know, he never, with the exception of that one season in 71, he never really excelled individually in the playoffs in a way that could help his team win. Because even in the year they went to the playoffs, his, his, uh, his, like, lead, leading the playoffs are because he made it, they made it to the finals, right? So he led the playoffs in games, wins, shots against, saves, and minutes because they went to the finals. But notably not in categories that are more important, like shutouts and, uh, you know, um, save percentage and stuff like that. So it's interesting to me that, so, so Gio Komen had this, he had this pretty good peak where in terms of minutes and wins and games played and point shares and stuff, he was one of the best goalies in the league and he was judged so by, by the writers. And then he had a not great finish to his career, which really sort of hurts his numbers. 
Um, but like, I don't know how you feel about this bill, but I look at this guy and I think I, I can think of multiple goalies that we grew up watching who had better overall careers than this dude. Some of whom we've talked about on the podcast. Cujo. Sorry. Oh, oh, man. That was, uh, that was not who I was going to guess, but uh, oh, yeah. Oh. It's okay. No, it's, uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I feel like the thing is we, we saw Cujo, right? So yeah. we're going to have these huge saves that he's made and games where you know, like, like the game might have finished 5 4, 4 3, but you know, without Cujo in that game, they lose like 7 to 3. You know, like it's just, you, you remember games he stole, you remember games where he kept the minute and he was just getting bombarded. And, you know, it's, it sounds like, um, you know, Jackman definitely faced a lot of shots sometimes um, yeah. and, and made a lot of saves. And maybe it's like that. If you watched him play, you know that he held him. He held his team in games that they shouldn't have been in, and then they kind of got their crap together in the third period and won the game. Yeah. But you know, he had already given up two, but he would never give up that third that would like put them out of the game, kind of thing. You know, like yeah. It's and can it, I stop unless you, you watch his whole career. Sorry, go ahead. Can I stop you for one second? Yeah, sure. I noticed you pronounce his name differently than I did. Do you have any idea which of us is right? I have no clue because I was no. not. Alive when he played. Okay. No, anyway, no clue. Sorry. I think. Uh, sorry to derail you. But... I, I, I feel like I, I feel like I heard on a Rangers broadcast that that's how they said it. Maybe, uh, maybe John Davidson or one of those like okay old guys. But I don't know for sure. Like I could okay. be talking out of my ass because we're like, like both of us could be both of us or one of us is butchering his name. We're just not Absolutely. sure. <laughs> okay. Anyway, sorry to interrupt. Um. No, that's okay. Um. <laughs> so I, I, yeah, I feel like if you watched his whole career. You get a better sense of of what a good goalie was, and like you know, yeah. had like those the big moments, the clutch moments, the game saving save when you really need. Kind of like, um, and I'm not saying that that his stats bear out as poorly um, and make him look bad, uh, but you know, modern numbers are crazy compared to the old. So you have to sort of judge him for his era. But I feel like a lot of people do that with Grant Fuhrer too. It's like. Yeah, he like his save percentage was abysmal, and he was like, yeah, but like you talk to all those old brothers, like yeah, he always made the big save when you needed it. Like he played yeah. for Team Canada and played really well. Like it's just the era in which he played is going to make him statistically look awful. Jackman looks like an average goalie just statistically, but I think when you put him against his sort of contemporaries, then he looks fine. And if you go by sort of you know people who talk about the old days. And I think, too, you have to remember that, like, it, almost anybody who played for the Rangers um, gets a little bit of a bump, right, for being a yeah. hockey star in New York because the Rangers have, you know, took them 54 years to win a cup. And yeah. don't even get me started on that. But, <laughs> um, you know, it's it, so, uh, like people remember those 90 Rangers as being, you know, incredible. And they were. But. Until the 90s, the Rangers were like an awful franchise. They always had yeah. one or two star players to sell tickets. And, you know, the the Knicks and the Mets and the Yankees and the, you know, the um, were the big draws, right? And then yeah. you get, I mean, even the Giants and the Jets. like, And then you and then sort of the Rangers were that other. But, you know, in the wintertime, New Yorkers love to go to a hockey game at MSG and drink a whole bunch of beer and scream and yell and sing songs. They have a, they have a, a good fan base. But, 
it's sort of the it's it's like being a Rangers fan is different than being other New York sports team fans. Yeah. But they were they there wasn't that sort of pressure to you know, the Yankees won so much that the pressure on the other New York teams wasn't so high, well, except for the Knicks, yeah, yeah. a lot of pressure. But, like, until the 90s when they finally won, it was like, then they became the hot ticket in town for a while because they got messy and they got all these free agents. But, like, until then, it was, you know, they had two or three star players and they made the playoffs sometimes, you know? Like, it yeah. was that they weren't so... If you were a star player for the Rangers, you get a little bit of a bump, kind of like being a star player for the Leafs. Yeah, um, you're in this absolutely. major market. People remember you really fondly, but you were never a part of great, great teams, right? So it, it, it hurts your overall Hall case because you're like, well, he didn't win any cups, didn't do this, didn't do that. It's like, yeah, because he was this stalwart player for one of the original six teams that just wasn't as good as the other original six teams. Like, they didn't win anything. So, but but in this case, it didn't hurt his case. It it no, seems to have helped him because it, it took nine years to get him in. But like, no, no. But I'm I'm, I'm like the lack of cups. I know because that just makes you a slam dunk, right? But yeah, I'm I'm saying you get a bump from having been one of the star players in, yeah. uh, you know, in Toronto or in New York. People, yeah. you know, so many people remember you really fondly because the the cities are so big, right? Like they, there's more people that remember you being a star player and they realized the rest of the team was mediocre at best and that you were sort of the one bringing them to the playoffs every year. So you, you get a bump from that. Whereas let's say they had played in a, a, a much smaller city and they were dragging their team to the playoffs every year. I don't know, like St. Louis or something like that. You yeah. don't get that bump, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's interesting if Vachon hadn't had that, um, that, that tournament where he played yeah. for Canada, um, I believe it was at the Canada Cup, and he just like was very clearly the best goalie at the oh, tournament, wow. like by leaps and bounds. Does he get? Is he not in the Hall of Fame because he played for the Kings? And though he had years that are on some, he never won like uh, Joe Coman did, but like, um, you know, he had these years that were he was very clearly a good goalie on a terrible team. Yep. And does does he not get in because no one thinks about that tournament? And because no one cares about the Kings in the seventies, whereas you have this guy who playoff numbers are with, with the exception of two, two years, his playoff numbers are demonstrably worse than his regular season numbers in which he was a very, he was well above average in, at least in the uh, early years of his career as a goalie. Um, is it, is it, like you said, because he played for a, such a sad sack franchise, and basically at the time they only had him and Rod Gilbert, um, and then eventually and Rattel, and then eventually um, Hadfield and Kachuk, um, you know, and Park eventually. Uh, like, is that why he's he's in? And I mean, the thing is, you know, he was he did finish second in heart voting in '67, um, and I don't know like how good that Rangers team was, but presumably, like. You know, there was uh so yeah, they weren't they weren't great. <laughs> yeah. Um uh but like he was good. And so um, you know, they were kind of like probably thinking like, well, it's completely the only reason they're not worse. It it's not quite Al Rollins type heart, but it's the same kind of argument where Giacoman yeah. had an excellent regular season, um, and the team didn't. Um but like I don't know, like he clearly he was never the best goalie in the league, but he was the most important. 
for like four years, right? Like he played yeah. the most minutes for four years. He he stopped the most shots twice. Um, he he led the league in goalie point shares four years in a row. He played. He led the league in games played four years in a row. Wins three times in a, three years in a row. He led the league in shutouts. Uh, three out of five seasons. Um, he clearly he was among the better goalies in the league. I don't know because he never. I think he was only second in goals against average once in his career, and I'm not sure he was ever second in save percentage. He, so he was second once in save percentage. So he was never, and he was never third. He was only fourth once. Like by our more modern metrics, he was not the best goalie in the league ever, but he he arguably was the most important uh, mm-hmm. for a number of years. And I don't know how to weigh those two things because you know. Wins are a silly way of evaluating goalies and pitchers, but they also do actually matter at the end of the day. Um, yeah. he, of course, he can't control the offense in the case of goalie, but he, uh, I don't know. It, it's weird. I just, his playoff numbers are so mediocre that I'm, I'm like that. That's one of the things that makes me wonder. And the other thing is the hall of fame has become crazy about goalies. They yep. clearly didn't become crazy about goalies until after they inducted this guy. But like now they don't want to induct anybody, you know, nobody's good enough basically at this point. And, yeah. and this guy's like, if, if Jackman or Giacomin or however you pronounce his name is the bar, there are a bunch of goalies, including players. I think neither of us think should be in the hall of fame who, who have a case to get in uh, because I think there are other guys you can point to who were pretty good for a couple of years and because their team was decent were important or vice versa. And um I don't know. That's that's sort of why I'm a little on the fence about it. Is like I I know how strict they are about goalies now and it feels like this was he was not inducted during that time that they were strict. Yeah, well it's it, it's it, it's hard because we've seen a lot of really good goalies who yeah. are not getting inducted. You know, we've got guys like Cujo, we've got uh, Sean Burke, we've yeah. got, and it was funny when you were talking about Rogi Vashon, I was immediately thinking of Sean Burke, like, yep, Mr. International, go play for Canada every single world championship yeah. and keep us in it because we didn't used to send a lot of great players to those world yeah. championships. And he, he was, he always answered the bell for Team Canada because he's always out of the playoffs because he played yeah. such garbage teams. And it's like, it was he was generally generally regarded as like a top five goalie in the league, but always played for bad teams. And it's like, well, or even know. someone like Kolzig, right? Yeah, Kolzig had some years where he was very close to the best goalie in the league. Only yeah. a couple. Yeah, he had, like, he, had a, he had a peak there in Washington where uh, I think it was like uh, maybe like ninety six to ninety eight or ninety nine, yeah. where we're one of the top teams in the league with uh, with Bondra and Jaeger. Yeah. Um, uh, so it's, yeah, like, the, the, but like, you know, he sort of had a peak where he was very clear, like Burke was like pretty much his whole career until sort of became a journeyman at the end. He was always yeah. like a top 10 kind of goalie. Like if yeah. you could, you know, if you could have a goalie, you know, your goalie sucks and who would you like to get? Like, oh, Burke would be awesome. But like yeah. getting him out of his terrible team was always too difficult because the only thing keeping them competitive you know and that's so. the only thing that's the other thing about uh jackman geocoman i'm just gonna start calling him both names now um <laughs> it is that like 
he has this peak where at least by the standards of games won and goalie point shares and minutes and stuff like that, he is one of the best goalies. Most important, he's the most important goalie in the league, for three, arguably for four years in a row. And then he's like not good, you know, for <laughs> yeah. the rest of his career. And like the thing about someone like Sean Burke is, like you said, he was he was good, but on really bad teams, and he was good for far longer. And the same thing can be said for Cujo. Cujo was on teams that gave up an absolute ton of shots and was good. He had some really bad years here and there, but was like, you know, was often his team didn't play to his level a lot of the time. Both of those guys, right? And like maybe Kolzig's a better comparison just because Kolzig had a, a period where he was really elite and then was not so good. I don't know. There could be, there are many others I'm sure we're not thinking of. But like, that's one of the things about this guy that I'm, I'm like a little on the fence on. And I, I don't know, maybe he, he should be long because he was the most important goalie in the league, arguably for four straight seasons. But like he also, his career overall was not that good. I mean, his, his, the end of his career, you know, he has seasons where he's like by goal save above average. He is like a really bad goalie in like say 1975, for example, he is not a good goalie. And or, or 1977, his second last career, uh, second last year. Um, and then he has those playoff numbers, which are, you know, he was so goal. I, I know goal saved above averages and everything, but he had two playoff seasons in his entire career in which he was positive in the playoffs. Man. And that that is not good. Yeah. And, you know, he had, like I said, he had he had 50 something. He was in the top whatever in playoff shot uh, in regular season shutouts all time. And he has one playoff shutout. I don't know why he sucked in the playoffs, but he mostly sucked in the playoffs. And and that would be another reason to be like. And now some of the other guys we mentioned also when they had opportunities, in the playoffs sucked. Um, not for Sean, though, right? Rashawn, when he had some chances, I think he had some pretty good. He had some pretty amazing playoff runs. But um, anyway, I, I just have no idea what to do at all um he's in so let's not kick him out i guess but like also if you look at his case and then you think about some of the guys we've mentioned who are not in and presumably many other guys we've mentioned or, or we haven't mentioned including some guys who got beat up in the 80s and so their their career stats non-adjusted career stats look bad um it does feel like he sets a bar that is perhaps a little lower than we'd want and the hall has just completely ignored it they've gone the other way they've like we're like we're never we're not in, we might induct Lundqvist and Luongo if they're lucky but like no one else you know yeah anyway I mean I, I yeah I don't know goalies are weird it's hard to know what to do with goalies yeah it's a tough one um yeah it's it, 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 it's one of those like it's really hard because there's some slippery slope arguments for various players right like yeah if you hit this many wins, do you automatically get in? Well, like, well, then you just played for great teams your whole career, right? Yeah. Like, I think Osgood's like what, not, like top five in wins, but like you're never yeah, going to say he's a top five goalie of all time. He just was on the great Red Wings team for most of his career. Yeah. Um, he was actually probably at his best when he was in New York and playing for the Islanders, and like he actually had to do something. <laughs> um, uh, although he, he did have that one year where he played, you know, really really well, and they gave him the contract because nobody else kind of stood out, and he, he actually, you know. Had, had lots of shutouts and stuff, but those Red Wings teams were absolutely dominant. Like, every time they won the Cup, they were the odds-on favorite kind of thing, right? So, um... He's 13th in wins. He's not 
Okay. That is high. I thought he was higher than that. I thought he yeah. was like 400 or something. Yeah, yeah, he has. Who's gonna get in for sure? And I'm like, how the hell is he get? He might have. He might have been top five when he retired, right? People play forever now. That's true. It's true. Goalies do tend to play for a long time. Um, like Flurry's top five now, which blows my mind. Wow. Well, he's been on good teams almost his whole career, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think he is. But well, that's going to be an interesting argument too when Flurry gets there, right? Because some people think he's like slam dunk lock Hall of Famer, and other people are really not sold on him. So it kind of Opinion Sorry, Flurry's tenth. Right? Oh no, wait, that's no, he's third. He's third. Sorry, sorry, I keep interrupting. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, that's, that's okay. That's fine. That's what, what we're supposed to do, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's it's yeah, it's like one of those things where it's, I think each person has like an individual opinion of a goalie, um, and you're like, does he go in? Is he one of the all-time greats? And it's like, I, it, it's it's really hard to say too, because some goalies, some goalies peak right, and they have like one or two years where they are lights out top two goalie in the whole league and then you have other guys like Rob Brodeur, Hasek where it's like they're, they're that way every year basically right yeah. and I mean even you look now like you know Price has these peaks and valleys but that's yeah. mostly due to injury I would say but like he has years where he's unquestionably the number one goalie in the league and he has other years where you're like I don't know but I can't like believe this guy got this contract yeah, well, I don't think it's, he's quite that bad. He also plays for a kind of a sneaky Habs team, and if he's not stealing them games, they're, yeah. you know, I mean, just look at the playoffs this year, right? Like, if he's not, if he doesn't yep. steal the a moment, Yeah, the moment he one. wasn't good, they're done, basically. Yeah, yeah but basically, well, and, and, you know, I mean, the guy's, at, at some point, he is human, right? Yeah. Um, but it, it always seems with him, it's injuries that slow him, like, right after the playoffs, he was injured, right? Like, they, they exposed him in the thing, thinking they wouldn't take him. Like, yeah, you got to, you've got to have some minor surgery. It's like, I'm sure he was hurt in the final. Like, yeah. it's just, he, he breaks down, but he's, he, when he's on, he can steal you a series pretty much by himself, right? So, yep. but goaltending is one of those things. There's very few guys that are in the longevity and mold of, you know, the three guys I mentioned that sort of yep. we, everybody would say are at least in the conversation for greatest of all time, Rob Ritter and, uh, and Hasek you don't get that kind of consistency where they're top of the league anymore. It's just, yeah. Well, I mean, and even, a, yeah. even Tony Esposito, uh-huh. who we talked about recently, he, he was, his team sucked a lot of the time, but he was by, by certain metrics, say percentage goals against average goals saved above average, those kind of things. He was the best, one of the top couple of goalies in the league for a decade, basically, yeah. which we cannot say about this dude, you know? No, that's it. Yeah. And, it's, and, and a lot of goalies too. Like there's some guys who are going to get in, in the next 15, 20 years where you're going to be like, really that guy got in. And it's like, well, you know, they're going to start looking at, did he win a Vezina? Did he have, yeah. was he, you know, Vezina nominated and how many years was he like a top five goalie? And some, some guys, you know, like, uh, Pekka Rene never won a, never won a cup, but for years he was the reason Nashville made the playoffs. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. And, and then, and then towards the end of his career started to have these huge peaks and valleys because it's so hard to, it's, it, it's such a fine, like, you know, it's such a fine difference between being a 940 save percentage and being a 910. Yeah. It's just, you know, is the other team getting high quality chance? And now we're starting to get into more advanced goalie metrics like expected saves and, um, yeah. you know, high danger chances and stuff like that. But for a while, it was just like you see these massive fluctuations. You're like, maybe like they traded away a defenseman who was stopping a lot of those chances in the slot and the guy just has no chance. Like, you know, yeah. so it's, it's hard to tell for goalies, but they, and that's one of the so, reasons 
I'm sort of skeptical about this guy's case a little bit is because he was at least by the, the okay, not so advanced stats we have from back then. He was one of the, like, I'm glad save percentage finally goes back um, past yeah. the eighties. Like the teams, someone has clearly done some research and found this stuff and it's great, but like he was never or very, there was one year where he was at least by save percentage in goals against average, which aren't everything the second best goalie in the league. But the reason he's in the hall more, I think is because he was this workhorse early in his career. And like, you know, he was, Oh, he was, he was more than okay, but he was good enough. Basically he was good enough. Like you were sort of talking about with fewer, he, he made the saves that counted. They won games. Mm -hmm. He, he also had a lot of shutouts for a little while and then he stopped, but like, he wasn't like he never had a peak comparable to, you know, well, no one's comparable to Hashik, but like um, he never had a peak comparable to some of these goalies who have these really great peaks and then sort of tail off. His his peak is very much in part determined by the fact that he played an absolute ton and was good enough to get those wins. Yeah. And, and I don't know what to do with that in part because like, you know, it's 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 important to win games, but it's also like clear that like the reason he led the league in goalie point shares four years in a row was not because he was the best goalie in the league. It was because he worked the most and he, and he was good. He just wasn't elite elite. And is that enough to make up for the fact that the rest of his career was, and, and the playoffs were kind of not great. Um, and, if we had a similar goalie, I don't know who that is, but a similar uh, career track now, would we would we put that person in the Hall of Fame? And I have no idea what the answer is to that. I think not because of how strict the Hall has gotten on goalies. But I don't know. Yeah, it's um, sort of what I was getting at there. It's, like, it, it's very rare to see a goalie who I don't think anybody's going to get in unless their their peak of goaltending where they were clearly the best in the league. Um, lasted for more than one or two years yeah or they were best in the league for a few years and have a cup or brought their team to a cup and was like you won the consummate yeah um, you know if you don't have one of those unless you were statistically always excellent i don't think you're you're even getting a sniff the way that it's it's being done nowadays i mean yeah i'm sort of like i have this terrible feeling especially now that kevin lowe's in that Osgood's gonna get in, but and and I like to call him Oz bad because yes. man, like he's just an average goalie on a really really good team for most of his career. But you get a guy like Richter, and I don't know that he's gonna get in. I think he will eventually because of the cup, but he also kind of stole that World Cup as well. Yeah, as well as as well as the refereeing. But um, you know, like the guy was incredible, and so it's like he had a five year peak where he was easily a top five goalie in the league and like you know the, the the rangers were you know sort of a stacked team for a lot of those years but he was a huge difference maker um you know he made some some really uh incredible and to me heartbreaking saves yeah. through those years of uh and it actually made me really nervous too in, in 2002 when when canada won in salt lake when i saw the starting goalie was richter i'm like oh, oh no that's not good <laughs> Makes me really nervous because I've seen him do it before. So, yeah. um, you know, and, and I, I don't see like a big push to making sure he gets in. And I'm like, 
nobody's pushing for him to be in. How the hell is Osgood getting in? I know he has like yeah. multiple cups, but he was on the bench for some of those. Like, come on. <laughs> so, yeah. um, you know, so it's uh, it, it, it's tough with goalies, right? Because it's yeah, it is. It really is. They just it's very rare that they have like consistency and longevity where you can say that guy was always a top ten goalie in the league. Like it's yeah. very rare. Uh, and I think it's going to become increasingly rare where some goalies have hot years and they have years where it's like, you need a new goalie coach. You're like swimming all over the place because it's so technical now. And it didn't used to be, right? If you're really athletic and you have good reflexes, you could be a top 10 goalie for most of your career. Yeah. But nowadays, like, you know, uh, some goalies are super athletic and they never even make it to the NHL because they don't, you know, the, technically they're not good enough to always make the you're in your butterfly at the right time and you're making the save. And it's, it's, it's such a, com- such a complex position now um, yeah. that, you know, and, and, you know, all the, all the sticks have gotten better. And so like the shots are coming, you know, 10, 15 miles an hour harder than they used to. And so the save that you used to get a piece of, you don't even see anymore. And it's, it, it, it it's very difficult for goalies to stay really on top of their game. So it's uh, yeah. it's a, it's a very difficult position to judge. You know? Extremely. And, and that's, that's why I have no idea what to do with this dude because <laughs> he really he he has a peak. It's not the peak, uh, yeah. certainly compared to someone like Dryden or Tony Esposito or even in some ways by some metrics, Vachon. Um, but that's more complicated because he never won games. But um, he does have one, and then he also has this like tail. And then yeah, I know I keep saying it, I'm beating a dead horse, but those playoff numbers. <laughs> You know, anyway, yeah. um, let's let's move on to uh, someone who there is no doubt about, despite his reputation for being a complete asshole. And that is Bobby Clark. Uh, he played from <laughs> 1969 to 1984. That's 15 seasons, all of which are quality by our estimation. Uh, when he retired, he was fourth all time in assists with 852. And he was 11th all-time in points at his retirement of 12-10. So that is pretty good. He is also third all-time in plus-minus among all players at his retirement. He is now fifth. He's still fifth all these years later. Um, he was 25th all-time in games played at his retirement, 22nd all-time in point shares. But because he's a pass-first player, he is, of course, no longer on that list. He was 21st all-time in offensive point shares. At his retirement, which is pretty impressive for the, a guy who only scored 358 goals. And he was the second forward all-time in defensive point shares at his retirement, which is worth noting because, of course, this is one of the reasons he has multiple heart trophies. Uh, per game, he was 14th all-time. Sorry, he was 8th all-time in assists per game as retirement. He's now 14th, which is pretty impressive. And as retirement, he was 16th all-time in points per game. Again, quite impressive, keeping in mind that he played in the 70s and 80s. He was drafted 17th overall in 1969, so we finally have a player who was drafted, which is nice because, uh, you know, it, it was sort of weird to, to not be talking about the draft. Guys, it's going to get weirder when we go back. That <laughs> That is the Rajon Houle, Mark uh, Houle, I guess, uh, Mark Tardif draft, um, where the Habs had two, the first two uh, picks, and um, they used them on two guys who played a total of like 1,100 and 51 games and scored, you know, slightly over 300 something goals and, and scored about uh, 450 assists and 800 ish points. So, um, you know, part of that is because Mark Tardif went to the WHA and was actually a star there. But uh, 
the Habs uh, missed, you could say, arguably. Uh, and who knows why that was. And then the Bruins had the next two picks and did even worse. So, um, <laughs> well, I, I remember seeing an interview with um, with Bobby Clark, or maybe uh, maybe it was on the radio. Actually, I heard, and he was talking about um, because uh, Max Domi was playing for the Habs, and and he has diabetes, right? And so, yeah. uh, and so does Bobby Clark, famously. And he, oh yeah, he yeah, led, yeah. He like led the OHL in scoring for a year or two, and was like should have been a top, maybe even the first overall pick. But everybody was so concerned that the, the diabetes would derail his career that he ended mm-hmm. up getting picked. Like, what, what was it, sixteenth or seventeenth? They were very there close. Yeah. So, like, and, and and I think even a couple of years later, the Habs tried to trade for him uh, when they sort of realized, like, hey, he's made the NHL and he's going to be a player, and they're dead. So they tried to work uh, work a, a deal to try to get him. Um, but uh, but but Clark distinctly remembers all the teams passing on him and being like, yeah, it's like health. And he's like, what what haven't I proven in junior? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's like, they just made me play with more of a chip on my shoulder. They're like, oh, that's great. That's what we needed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and to your point, Bill, uh, he was absolutely the best player in his draft. And it's not even remotely close. And yeah. so I'm going to say what. So he's third in goals and he's behind by 18. Only 18. This is a pass-first player, of course. Butch Goring, this is the Butch Goring draft. We talked about Goring a few um, yeah. episodes ago. More than a few now, I think, at this point. But Butch Goring has 375. Boldereb has 361. Clark has 358. This is a guy who made his name for his defensive play, for being extremely dirty, and for his passing ability. And he has 30 goals in the draft. Uh, by, like I said, 18 goals. He is first in assists by nearly... Uh, sorry, did I say nearly? By over 300 assists ahead of Bush Goring. And keeping in mind, Bobby Clark played like 37 more games than Bush Goring did. Yeah. Points. He is over, uh, he is ahead by over 300 and ahead of Bush Goring again. Uh, Bush Goring's next and again, 37 games played more than Bush Goring. Plus minus, he is ahead by over uh, 300 again. Or sorry, by over 200, my apologies, ahead of Andre Dupont, who was, if I'm not mistaken, his teammate for much of those years. And the reason he is also plus 200 is something is because he played for the Flyers. Um, but, uh, um, oops, that's the wrong one. Uh, Dupont was drafted eighth by the Rangers and I guess was traded to the Flyers. I don't know anything about his career. Um, but, um, yeah, he's, he's, uh, yeah, he did that in more games, sure, but he's still like two plus like two oh five ahead of the next guy. And uh Rajon from who's the first overdraft pick is is third at one seventy nine. And then point shares, Bobby Clark, who is a passer, it's worth pointing out, um, is ahead of Ron Stackhouse, uh, the defenseman, by over thirty point shares. And as we've said many times, you know, if you have an eleven or twelve point share season you are having a f- fantastic year, um, especially for uh, a forward. So uh, that's a very good year for a forward. Um, so, you know, the fact he's ahead of the next player in the draft, any player, including the one and only notable goalie or two, one of two notable goalies um, by over 30. It's just, this is not even close, right? He's the best player in this draft by any, any possible. The only, th- the only thing he doesn't lead is goals and he's behind by 18. So, it is the Bobby Clark draft. Absolutely. Era-wise, of the 19 skaters to play in at least 
11 modern seasons between 69 and uh, 84. He's 10th in goals, which shouldn't be a surprise. 12th in goals per game. Again, not a surprise. He's first in assist by over 50 ahead of the next guy. Third in assist per game, which I was surprised about. Third in points, fourth in points per game. He is first in plus minus by over 30. He's fifth in offensive point shares. And again, this is a passer. He's the first forward in defensive point shares. He's fourth in total point shares and first in games played. So he is, at least by assists and points, one of the top five players in the draft and top 10 or 12 by goals. So, you know, one of the better players of his era. And that's putting aside, that's offensively putting aside the defense. Um, his 82 game average is a very impressive 87 points and a plus 36, which is quite impressive and, and very close to the pair of years. His three year peak is a more impressive 80 game average of 111 points. And get this a plus 68. <laughs> That's from 74 to 77 when the when the Broad Street Billies were beating everybody up. And 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 beating them at hockey too. Yes, and <laughs> beating them at which, hockey. Which order they did it in was up to them, but both of those yeah. things had just happened. <laughs> yeah. At his, at his retirement, he was 23rd all time in playoff goals, which is something I did not know. That was much higher than I thought he would be. Uh, he was ninth all time in playoff assists at his retirement and fifteenth all-time in playoff points, which is quite high. He was only a plus 17, but we know why. He was absolutely sent out against the other team's top line, for sure. I didn't watch him play, but I'm, I guarantee it. Um, he was 19th all-time in playoff games at his retirement. Era-wise, of the 57 skaters to play in at least 82 playoff games between 69 and 84. He is 13th in goals, 4th in assists, 7th in points. That may be a little lower than you might be expecting, but of course, this is the guy who was... The reason, as someone who did not watch those finals, the reason Rick McLeish outscored Bobby Clark in the playoffs, presumably, is that Bobby Clark was facing the opponent's top line, top line. and McLeish was not. And that is my guess, but I feel like that's a reasonable guess. Hockey references adjustment for error hurts him a bit, as you would expect, given when he played, it drops him down to 76 points for 82 games, so that's 11 points less than his real numbers, but of course that is not particularly bad he's just slightly less than a point per game player and if he really is one of the best defensive forwards of all time who cares right um he's not on any per game leaderboards for hockey references adjustment however if you raise the qualifier to 820 games he's 23rd all time in adjusted assists per game versus x uh treats him a little bit better um but again he is not in the per game he's not on the per game leaderboards however if you again raise the qualifier to 820 games he's 19th all time in in adjusted this is per game, so a little higher up on those leaderboards. It's notable that he is one of only four players to win the heart at least three times. The others being, uh, you know, um, how Gretzky and and uh, Bobby Orr, I believe, right? Bobby Orr, or Lemieux, Bobby Orr, I think. Um, and that is, uh, I would say, a little controversial, probably in retrospect, right? I don't know. Maybe I don't know. It's Certainly, we didn't agree when we when we did our series. We only gave it to him once. Yeah, I, um, but I, we I didn't watch play. I've been on the fence for two, but I can't remember what I said. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fair enough. And I, I definitely, um, because uh, because our data is more has more of my votes than your votes. Uh, the spreadsheet. I, uh, I definitely deferred. <laughs> As dictator of this podcast, I, I uh, reserve the right. He he also won the uh, the Pearson uh, now the Ted Lindsay once in '73, 
Um, he was top two in our voting uh, of two other seasons. So that's uh, sorry, did I say top two? He's top five. Um, but I think he might have actually been top two. No, he was, he was top five. Top two once, top four another time. He also won the Selkie in '83, and it's worth guessing that had the Selkie existed prior to it being invented, supposedly for Bob Ganey in like '77 he would have had more Selkie awards. Like he got a career Selkie in 83 when they, people were worried he would retire. Yeah. And I think it's safe to say that it probably would have been him and Craig Ramsey, um, fighting it out in the, uh, in the early seventies. Um, if, if it had existed and, uh, you know, maybe, I don't know how, when, I don't know what year Keon went to the, uh, um, the WHA, but, depending on when the Selkie had been introduced, it might have been also the ghost of Dave Keon. Um, fighting <laughs> it he was old by that point, but uh, he also won the Masters, and we don't really care about that. He was top five in Calder voting in his rookie year, though he didn't have the greatest year. Like I said, we, uh, we, we gave him our MVP in our MVP series, which you can listen to if you go back through the podcast stream. Uh, we give it to him in 76. He also was a first-team All-Star twice, which at center is a hard thing to do, but of course he won three Hart Trophies. The fact that he won three Hart Trophies but only won two first-team All-Stars once again illustrates that the voters back then didn't consider them the same thing. Um, he also has two second-team All-Stars, so four total, just like LaPerriere, and he has eight All-Star game appearances. Because he is a pass-first player, he does not look very good by point shares. Top 10 player twice, top offense, top 10 offensive a player five times only in his career, but keep in mind, as we always say, point shares favor goals over assists. Um, he led the league in assists twice. He led the league in APG twice, which is uh, actually the ninth most ever. People don't lead the league in assists per game very often because, um, yeah, he's somehow in the top 10 in that regard. He was top 10 in assists and assists per game nine times. So he is one of only... Um, 12 players ever to have 80s is twice. And at his retirement, the only other players to do this were Gretzky or and Savard. Uh, so that's some company. Yep. Uh, he was one of only two players to have 60 assists at his retirement. And the other being Brian Trotche. Uh, of course, Gretzky very like probably passed that the next year or whatever. Yeah. Uh, or cause Gretzky just hadn't been in the league six seasons when, when Clark retired, but now it's, it's 21 players. He had 50 assists nine times when he retired. The only other guy to do that was Dion which is, again, pretty great company. Now it's 23 guys, of course, because more scoring. And he had 40 assists 13 times. There were only five players at his retirement, and they are Gordy Howe, Stan Makita, Marcel Dion, Phil Esposito. So that is a very good company. Now there are 22 players, of course, with both Gretzky and Lemieux being in there. He was top five in points three times. He led the league in points per game once, which is something that I'd forgotten if I knew. Um, he's only one of 10 players to have 110 points twice uh, sorry at his retirement um only one of 10 players have 100 points three times at his retirement but the points thing he mostly did you know he was on the frequency with which he did it was exceptional his retirement is now no longer exceptional because the 80s exist but he did have 16 60 points 14 times and at his retirement it was only him how esposito and makita who did that now there's 21 players but still he somehow only led the league in plus-minus once, which is crazy, given he's plus 507. And he was top 10 only three times, but he presumably was top 15 or 20 many, many, many times. I don't know. So the versus X peak adjustment, which is the one, the thing I really, really like, um, 
his best seven seasons, he's 247th all-time in goals, which sounds awful, but he's 19th all-time in assists and 34th all-time in points. So he is a top 35 player in points, which is something. Best 10, it's 242nd all-time in goals. He actually looks a little better. 20th all-time in assists, so a little worse, tiny bit worse. And 41st all-time in points. So he's a, his peak is top 10, or sorry, top 50, I mean, um, in offense, which... Uh, when adjusting for historical era, which says something given his reputation is in part as a defensive player. So he won cups famously, infamously. Um, <laughs> he was by points, the best skater on the 73 flyers who did not uh, advance to the Stanley Cup finals by points. Keep in mind points. We don't have his ice time. I'm sorry to say we do not have his ice time. He was a top three forward on on the uh, the 75 Flyers, he led the playoff in assists. Uh, he was outscored by Rick Glish. It's worth probably, and also in the 76 Flyers who lost to the Habs, it's worth noting that that's probably inaccurate. It's safe to guess that Bobby Clark played the most points, uh, made play the most minutes of any forward on that team. I would assume. I don't know. Yeah. And then yeah. also by yeah by points, he was a top three forward on uh, the Flyers in 74 as well. Uh, where he didn't lead the playoffs in anything. But, of course, again, he was probably actually playing the most minutes, we'd have to think, as Bill just said. And he was a top six forward by points on the Flyers team that went to the finals in 80 as well. He also won a Canada Cup in 76, where he was, by points, as far as I can tell, a top six forward. He um, won a bronze at the World Championships in 82, when he had a role as a role player, which makes absolute sense because he was old and also he was a defensive player, so it makes sense that he did not play a lot. Um, he was also on the Summit Series, infamously, as we all know. If, mm -hmm. I feel like there's if there's two things people our age or, or younger know about Bobby Clark, it's the Summit Series um, ankle and... Uh, and his behavior towards Eric Lindros. And I think that's like, as people who are younger, that's all anyone knows. And then lastly, the one thing I wanted to point out is that in 76, during the super series between various NHL teams and two Russian teams, the flyer, his flyer team were the only NHL team to beat the Russians. Yes. Uh, very, uh, uh, yet another infamous, uh, broad street bullies moment too, because the, the Russians came over and were, were beating all the teams and everybody's sort of like, Oh my God! Like we can't let them beat everybody, and then the Flyers showed up, and there's a there's a great Bob Clark interview about it, and he said uh, he said yeah, everybody in the league hated the way we played and called us bullies and everything, but then when they needed somebody to beat the Russians, everybody loved us, yeah. <laughs> and uh, they they famously played the old uh, Broad Street bully style of hockey to the point where the Russians left um, after the first period. They were they were just going to leave, uh, and then they they finally said. Uh, uh, because the game was so, so rough. They were like, this is ridiculous. And so they were going to leave. And then they said, well, you're not going to get paid for the game if you don't come back. So they, they came back and played the game. But yes, the Flyers were the only. But they, they just went out in the first period and played real 70s Broad Street Bullies NHL hockey. And just, you know, it's it, it was a certain style of hockey. Uh, yeah, that, uh, yeah. It was very hard to compete with. And, uh, you know, that's... If you have a chance to go look up that uh, that Bobby Clark interview about that game, it's just the sort of little smirk of satisfaction on his face. Be like, yeah, Russians came over and beat everybody, and then they needed somebody to beat the Russians, and who did they turn to? That was the we were the only guys who could do it, and we really took it to them. <laughs> it's like, man. <laughs> so, um, but that's the thing too. Like they were they were famously uh, an extremely rough 
borderline dirty team, but they also beat you at hockey too, right? They didn't just beat the crap out of you till everyone was hurt. It was like they played you so tough and were so intimidating that they would then, you know, beat you at hockey. Like you just, they were also good at the game too, right? Extra infuriating for most people, right? Like if all they could do was fight, you could eventually just beat them on the scorecard and be like, that's where we're good. Like, you know, we, we, we took our lumps, we lost a few fights, but we went out and we won the game. But like, yeah, well, they're also good at hockey. Like shit. (laughs) And had a great goalie. So it made them extra. Yeah. Perron was amazing. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, I mean, unless we want to go back and relitigate, the things that Clark did as a player physically to other players. I think there's like zero question that he, he belongs. His team was partially because of their physicalness, but like you said before, Bill, they were also really good at hockey. They were the best team in the league for like a few seasons in a row. Yeah. Um, yeah and and it, 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 it took the best team in the league to dethrone the best team in history to get, to stop them from winning. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And it's a, the Habs are really proud of that too, that they, you know, sort of, stood up to the flyers and took it to them and you know really spanked the pants off them in terms of we stood up to them physically and then we destroyed them at hockey like they were very very proud of that um because the flyers had been quite the thorn in their side leading up to that yeah um, but i mean they were in three finals in a row yeah exactly and then there were another one five years later or four years later or whatever it was yeah which is extremely yeah. impressive yeah i mean, I mean it's it just was- Sorry. And the, the, the one thing that I, I think I brought it up several times in talking about different different uh, different flyers or, or maybe we've mentioned it before on the podcast, maybe when we were talking about Bobby Clark, um, you know, in, in terms of like Selkies and uh, and Hart trophies and stuff. But the the reason the Flyers became the Broad Street Bullies is that St. Louis did that to them first. Yeah, <laughs> they had it when, when the Flyers first started, they had like a lot of finesse players some Europeans. And St. Louis just came in and kicked the shit out of them. And then uh, apparently after the game, the, uh, the the Flyers GM walked in and sna- snapped a clipboard over his knee and said, never again. <laughs> like, that's never happening to us again. And then they built the biggest, toughest team and won a couple of cups because they were so friggin' mad about it. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and they've, had, they've had that team ethos ever since where they're always they're the Broad Street bullies. Like, yeah. kind of like the big bad Bruins. Like, that's the way that they play. Uh, and sure, they'll have some skill players. They'll have Europeans who can pump goals in, but their third and fourth line guys better fight, or the like. The fans are going to be pissed, right? Like it's the yeah. way their town is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, to wrap up, Jacques Laperriere, how do you feel? Yay or nay? Ah, uh, I'm going to lean towards no, but ooh, I ooh hot take. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna go with yes, which is weird because I feel like usually if it's a if it's uh maybe you're more yay and I'm more nay, but to me, unless I can strip him of his Norris and those all star teams, I sort of feel like anyone who's got four end of season all stars and a Norris, I have to like throw up without having seen him play and not knowing any dirty dark secret about him being either underrated or overrated. I can't really, um, I don't know that he would deserve to win the Norse. I have no idea, but he's got like six years that he was a top five finalist. So I'm going to say yes. Uh, Jack and Giacomin. How do you feel? Uh, I'm, I'm going to lean towards no again. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I don't know about the standards in 1987, but given the the Hockey Hall of Fame standards 
in my adult lifetime, I think yeah. he's a no. Yeah. Um, I think it's possible that they're too strict now with goalies when they're way they're not strict enough with other the other positions, but they're st- too strict with goalies. And so maybe I don't know, but like he just he was never the best goalie in the league, and there's I have a bit of an issue <laughs> with that yeah. guy. Not yeah, be- to, to me, you have to be consistently you know, in, in the top five, top 10, basically your whole career, or you have years where you were unquestionably the best goalie in the league, yeah. or at least top and he two doesn't have league. either of those things. Yeah. 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 And lastly, Bobby Clark. Yep. No, yeah. no issue. Even, no if, even if he hadn't been, uh, been dirty and beating people up and being the sort of, uh, face of the broad street bullies, he was damn good at hockey. So. Yeah. No, he still, he has the offensive numbers, even without how hard he was to play against. Exactly. Absolutely. Um, I have no idea where he ranks on the all-time great defensive forwards. People, some think, people think he was the best, or at least the best, who was also very good at offense. Yeah. But I have no idea about that, but I know he belongs in the Hall of Fame. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. All right. That's it for this episode. Um, we will have a 1986 episode sometime in the future, and um, we are also at some point going to do a, a top position thing, but we haven't quite organized ourselves there, so stay tuned for that as well. And uh, we will see you then. Take care.